following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So let's, uh, let's read from Luke 22, starting at verse 39. Uh, and he, that is Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's really come to be the moment when Jesus uh, has nothing standing before him except for the cross. It's a moment he's been looking, looking toward and forward. He set his face towards Jerusalem. Uh, but now that moment is here. They just completed the Lord's Supper. They go out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, the next thing that will happen is Judas will show up with, with an army, with soldiers, and they will arrest Jesus. And in that moment of just realizing the time has come, the moment is at hand, the cross is now a present reality. Uh, it is a gripping moment for Jesus. And the nearness, the presence of it all becomes Uh, very vivid and real, both as we read it in the story and in this account, and also as Jesus stands before the cross. And and in this moment, uh, one of the the most gripping stories in scriptures, we see uh, that everything was not easy for Jesus. He wrestles and struggles uh, with what is about to take place. And it's important that we see how he struggles through this and how he deals with a temptation that is set before him. Uh, in, in, in Hebrews 4, it says, Jesus is tempted in every way as us. Uh, Jesus faced incredible temptation in this moment. <clears throat> but he overcame that temptation and he goes to the cross. Uh, what, do you, what do you struggle with? What temptations do you struggle with? Are you like the guy in the video? Are you struggling with the temptations of workaholic? Just can't get away from those spreadsheets <coughs> uh, or whatever other work it is you do, right? What is it that tempts you? What is it that pulls you away that, that you struggle with? Well, as we see how Jesus dealt with temptation, uh, severe temptation, and overcame, I hope we see also that uh, God's plan for us in dealing with temptation is, is, is the same. Uh, and he wants us to have lives that overcome in every temptation. So let's see how Jesus does this. Uh, first of all, 
Jesus is aware, not only for himself, but he's aware of the, the temptation that is looming before his disciples as well. And as they finish the Lord's Supper, they go across, they leave Jerusalem, and it's a very short walk. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's a short walk across, across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And uh, they, uh, there's a spot where Jesus would always go. We don't know that spot. We'd love to find it. Uh, there's a church where it supposedly was. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's somewhere on the Mount of Olives in, a, in an olive grove. And uh, it's where Jesus would, would retreat in the evenings. Uh, he goes to that spot. And as I said, the, the, the cross is looming before him. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Pray so that you do not fall into temptation. Right? He challenges them. He says, Pray so you do not literally enter into temptation. And I like that phrase, enter into temptation. Right? Uh, Jesus does not say pray so that you will have the power to resist temptation. Right? What, he, what he says is pray so that you don't even enter into temptation. Now for me, this is, as I studied this, I thought this is kind of a radical and novel thought. Uh, is Jesus suggesting here that we can get to a place in our life where we're really not even tempted? Where, where we never even enter into um, the struggle of, of a temptation. I don't know about you, but that's never been my experience. Right? I've never come to a point where I'm like uh, water off a duck's back. You know, temptation just slides off me. And yet that's what Jesus asks them, to, commands them here to pray about. So what does he mean by that? Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about what temptation is. First of all, uh, a temptation, the Greek word that's used for temptation, can also be translated to put something to the test. It's a test, right? It's a test to see and to prove how you do in certain circumstances. And in this case, it is a multiple choice test, right? Every temptation is, is basically a multiple choice test. And these are the choices. A, uh, stay, uh, do God's will. Do what pleases and honors God. Do what's in God's, um, God's purpose for your life. Or B, do what I want. Do what pleases me. Do what makes me happy. What's according to my plan for my life. Every temptation comes under those two basic choices. It's a simple multiple choice, right? Praise God, it's not an essay test. I never did good with essay tests, right? I loved multiple choice because you had, like, here's only two chances. You got a 50-50 chance of getting it right, right? So this is not that hard. But, of course, we know it is hard because it comes down to a match of wills, right? That's, what's a, that's what temptation is. At its core and at its root, it is uh, choosing God's will and what will please and honor him, or choosing what I want, to do it uh, my way, to get what I want for me to be in charge. And that really is what is at the core of every temptation. So for Jesus, the test was this. And it was a temptation. It was a test. Uh, the test was this. Uh, a, stay where you are in the garden, where you've gone every night, where Judas will certainly find you, be arrested, be sentenced, uh, unjustly to die on the cross and surrender to that. Okay, that's plan A, God's will. Plan B, go where Judas cannot find you, get out of Jerusalem and avoid the cross. Okay, that, was a, that was a choice that was before Jesus. And as a human being, he was faced with a choice. He was not forced to go to the cross. He had to choose it for himself. Uh, the disciples also have 
a choice. Right? Their choice is this, A, to stand with Jesus as he goes to the cross as loyal followers and true friends. Right? To stay around Jesus and to stick with him in this horrible moment as true and loyal friends. Or um, to abandon ship. Pretend you don't know who Jesus is and that you've never met him. Run away and hide. Right? That's the temptation that is before them. Uh, we are constantly presented with temptations, choices. Every day, we have countless choices that we can make. And uh, some of those choices are in line with God's will and purpose, and some of those are quite against God's will and purpose. And uh, the greater the gap between what God wants and what I want, the greater the temptation. Right? That's just how it works. When, when what we want is... is is far, far, far away from what God wants. That's where we feel the strain and struggle of the conflict of temptation. Um, and uh, temptation is not, just, it's not just positive. It's positive and negative. On the one hand, we can be tempted to do what God forbids. Uh, on the other hand, we can be tempted to not do what he commands. Right? So that's, that's kind of what temptation is. Uh, so... Uh, the disciples, Jesus knows that the disciples face temptation. Uh, Jesus himself is tempted. Um, but we've got to be very careful how we talk about this. Very careful, right? Uh, let me read again. It says in verse 41, He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, what, what Jesus is struggling with here, it's, it's clear in the text, what Jesus says, his own words, he is struggling with the choice between going to the cross and not going to the cross. Right? That's the choice. Uh, to obey God to the point of death or to avoid it, to escape it somehow. And the cup, the cup here that he's talking about, it's not just the cup of dying or even of suffering. Uh, although that would be temptation enough, right? Any of us facing uh, death, right? Somebody says to you, you know, uh, either denounce Jesus or will shoot you dead, right? That would be a huge temptation, a huge struggle. But that's really not what the cup was here. The cup was not simply that Jesus would die uh, or even that it would be a horrible suffering death on a cross, um, certainly, I would want to avoid the kind of torture that Jesus was about to face. But the cup specifically was used in the Old Testament, Old Testament to speak of God's wrath and judgment. Really, the cup that, is, that he is asking to be taken away is way more than just death. Because what he's about to do is lay his life down as a human sacrifice, which would be the atonement for sin. And the way he would atone for sin is that God the Father would pour out his wrath and judgment on sin upon Jesus. Now, I don't even know all what that means. And I don't know that we will ever know. Um, like the song says, you know, we'll never know how much it costs uh, for our sin to be upon the cross. Right? We, we won't know. But, but Jesus is about to face uh, abandonment by everybody rejection by his own people, and ultimately his own father would turn away as the wrath and judgment of sin was poured out on him. 
Okay, so what, uh, what Jesus is wanting to avoid is no small thing, right? No small thing. It's not just death. It's not just horrendous suffering. It is the eternal and infinite suffering of God's wrath for sin. Holy God becoming sin and taking upon him all the consequences and horror of what sin is. Taking it upon himself. We really can't imagine, uh, because we can't understand it, but Jesus knew. This perfect God, perfect man. He knew and understood what his death would mean and what would be involved. So it was a difficult choice to drink that cup or not. And so at some level, uh, Jesus is wrestling with going to the cross or avoiding the cross. Uh, but, we, but as I said, we have to be very careful about we, how we talk about this here. And I know I've been guilty of, of um, saying that Jesus did things I don't think he did. Right? And here's the problem. What really is temptation? At what point do we face a test? And at what point do we actually fail the test? Right? Well, the obvious answer would be, well, you know, a choice is placed before us, and we fail the test when we take action that is wrong, right? So things like adultery, lying, murder, right? Those are actions. Uh, for Jesus to actually get up and run away and flee out of the garden, to go where Judas could not find him and the, the priests and the army could not find him, certainly that would be failing the test. And we all know what that feels like, right? We've all had times where we have chosen wrongly and we've taken action on that, and we've done sinful things. We've committed uh, sinful acts. And certainly that's failing the test. But Jesus thought very clearly that the sin actually happens long before the action. Right? That it's actually the desire itself that is a problem. Um, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, You shall not... You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, right, with, with lustful desire, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this gets a little more complicated. Because what Jesus teaches clearly is that um, there is a point at which desire itself is sin, Right? So when we think about Jesus standing before the cross, right? Um, not only does he, not only can he not sin by not going to the cross, but for Jesus he cannot sin by desiring something that is not God's will. Right? And this is where, for us, I think temptation and sin and our understanding of battling temptation gets us into all kinds of trouble, because we think this way. We think. Um, you know, an opportunity comes up, and, and I'll pick, let's pick workaholic. You know, that's a, just a great, great setup for my sermon today, right? The guy is standing with the calculator in hand, right? And he's just being tempted to start crunching numbers, right? Can't, can't resist. And, and the calculator's right there, and the spreadsheet's right there. The, the numbers are right there. And he tries to battle temptation at the point of action, right? But the problem is, He's never dealt with the desire that's propelling him forward in the first place. Right? He's never waged war 
at the area of desire. And the reality is most of us deal with temptation this way. We've never confronted that the truth is we want to do wrong. I want to sin. But I've never dealt with that wrong desire. And so suddenly I'm confronted with an opportunity where sin is right before me. The action, the doing of the sin is right before me. And what I find myself as I, I think my battle with temptation is, is the struggle not to act on what I want to do. Right? Have any of you been there <coughs> this morning? <laughs> right? Yesterday. This past week. Right? This is where we battle sin. We want to sin, and when the opportunity presents itself, we find ourselves in conflict, knowing we're not supposed to, and we try to avoid sin by not acting on what we really, really <coughs> want to do. <coughs> what deep in our heart we desire and long for. And how successful are we at that? Well, probably not very, right? Now, maybe sometimes we avoid it. Maybe sometimes we don't actually do the sin. You know, we, we take the cold shower. We lock ourselves in our trunk or something. Or, you know, we handcuff ourselves to a chair, you know, to prevent ourselves from doing. But Jesus says that's the wrong place to do battle. That's what this is all about. He's saying you've already lost, Right? Because the reality is you want to sin. You desire for what is against God's will. So Paul says this in, in 1 Timothy 6.9, But those who desire to be rich um, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Right? It's the desire. And by the way, do only rich people desire to be rich? Well, probably a lot more poor people actually desire to be rich. If you're already rich, there's no, there's no desiring it. Right? You don't have to have it to desire it. Right? But that desire plunges you into ruin. It plunges you into sin. Or as James put it in James chapter 1, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. See, it is, it is our desires that lure us. And at some point, that option before us, choice A and choice B, and the desire, the, the wrestling, at some point, our desire for sin becomes sin itself. Right? We cross some line where all of a sudden our desire itself is sinful. Right? And we've already lost the battle. Now, what is that point? Does this mean all desire is sin? Well, no. Um, but it, it illustrates that desire is headed in one of two directions. Either it is a desire to please God and do His will, or it's a desire to do my own thing and to do it in my own way. Right? Um, where do you cross the line? <coughs> Well, when all of a sudden you desire, you want what you know is contrary to God's will, but you want it anyway, right? You're crossing that line. You are moving toward sin, not towards pleasing God. Jesus could not do that. Right? So as Jesus wrestled in the garden... <coughs> 
There could never be a point in time if he was to be the sinless, perfect substitute, substitute for sin. There could never be a point in time when Jesus desired something that was not the Father's will. Um, so Jesus never got to that point. To do that would have been to be tempted and to sin. But it says he was tempted without sin. Um, so what's the point of all that? Well, Jesus' struggle here is that at some point, there is before him the option to run away. Uh, and at some point, that he's drawn to that. right? At some point in his mind, is thinking there is the thoughts coming in. You don't have to do this. You can run. You don't have to go to the cross, right? So what does Jesus do with those thoughts as they start creeping in? As Satan is whispering into his ear, there's another way, right? There's, there's, there's got to be some other way. You don't really need to do this. And as Jesus wrestles with those thoughts, how does he respond? Um, well, before we move on to how he does actually respond, let me just say one other thing real quick. Uh, temptation is not always so easily premeditated. In other words, Jesus has time to wrestle because the cross hasn't come yet. He knows it's coming, and he is wrestling with what he knows is going to come at some point soon. Right? But there's another kind of temptation that just lands on us, and that's really the temptation that springs on the disciples. A lot of temptation is something we don't get to plan for. It is an instant response to circumstances. Right? Uh, and the reality is that people do bad things to us. People accuse us. People attack us. People slander us. Right? And in an instant, we have to respond to that. I'm driving to church this morning. Some knucklehead drives me off, uh, cuts me off, hoping it's not somebody else going to church. <laughs> right? And uh, right? in that instant, in that split second, how do I respond? Right? I have half a second to to pick A or B. Right? That's what happens to the disciples. They weren't prepared. All of a sudden, Jesus is getting arrested. Boom, it's on them. They've got to respond instantly. Right? You don't always get to plan your attack. People say things. People do things. But at the root of it, it's still a matter of desires that will affect what we do. Right? Um, for the disciples... Is their desire for safety and protection greater than their desire to be obedient and follow Christ? Right? Is, is Peter's desire to keep a good reputation greater than his allegiance to Jesus? Well, in the moment of decision, right, the, the pervading desire will take over. And for Peter, it was the wrong choice. How many, do we, how many times do we find ourselves? Because we have not dealt with the deep underlying desires that, that govern how we choose, how we respond in an instant. We're not prepared to face uh, these temptations when they are sprung on us. And as we saw with the disciples, they had done a very jo poor job assessing the threat. They were not realistic about how serious this was. Right? And so Jesus says to them, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. But what do they do instead of praying? They take a nap. Right? Right? Well, why do they take a nap? Well, because they didn't assess the situation correctly. Peter had just got done saying, Lord, I, will, I am willing to go to, to, to jail and to death with you. Right? Peter thought, I can do this. 
when Jesus says you need to be prepared, you need a coat, you need you need coat, you need shoes, you need a sword. Peter says, "Hey, we've got two swords. Right? I'm ready." Right? But that's not the preparation that Jesus was talking about. And so when Jesus says, "Pray that you do not enter temptation," they go, "Ah, we're not tempted." Right? There's nothing in this situation that's going to be a temptation for us because we want to serve Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. We will die for you. And it's a great picture of how complicated this whole deal really is uh, because our desires are complex. The reality is we can desire two very opposite things at the same time. We can genuinely desire to serve and follow God and honor him, and we can genuinely desire and want to sin all at the same time. Right? It's a battle of will. It's a battle of which desires we bring under subjection to what ruler and authority. Right. So how do you deal with temptation? How do we sort all this out? Uh, well, let's look at Jesus, what, how he dealt with it. And, and he deals with it in prayer. How do we become temptation-proof? And again, Jesus says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. Jesus' goal and his expectation for you and I is that we will be unfazed by the choice. Right? Now you may say, that's impossible. <laughs> that is impossible. There's no way that I'll ever get to a point in my life where that choice is not a temptation for me anymore. But Jesus says that's exactly what we are to pray for. That is exactly the goal we're to pursue in our life. To come to a place where the temptation has lost its power. And the, again, the reason we believe that's impossible is that most of us are trying to face and confront temptations, trying to not do what we really, really want to do, right? We long to sin, and when the opportunity presents us, we go, it's impossible for me to resist this temptation. Well, of course it's impossible because you want it. That's the point, right? Jesus says you've got to back up a few steps. And you've got to start doing battle long before it becomes the point of action. You've got to deal with it at the point of desire. You've got to deal with it long before um, you have to give that response. You've got to pray now. He says to the disciples, you need to pray now for what's going to happen later. You need to prepare now your heart for the test that it's about to face. So how do we do that? Well, how do we, how do we pray in a way that we can become temptation-proof? First thing, we need to pray in submission. Uh, it says, verse 41, Jesus withdrew a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed. And we might assume that Jesus always prayed this way, and perhaps Jesus always did. But in Jesus' day, this was not the normal posture of prayer. The Jews in Jesus' day would typically stand with their hands raised in prayer. But Jesus chooses this posture of kneeling, and it is a posture of submission. He bows before the Father. Right? And, and we know in, in Thailand where there's a king, you, when you come into the presence of a king, you cannot stand over the king. That would be insurrection. Right? You, you've got to lower yourself. You've got to put yourself physically and bodily under the king. And that's what Jesus does here. He comes in an attitude, putting himself under the authority and rule of his father. Right? Already, Jesus is starting to wrestle, starting to pray, starting to deal with the issue of who's in charge. 
And he does it in the very posture of his body. And I think it is great to kneel in prayer. And I'm not saying you always have to kneel in prayer. You know, when you're driving, I'm, I'm not recommending it, okay? Other times, probably not preferred. But, but I do think it's good once in a while, maybe once a day, right, to take the posture of kneeling before God, to physically in your body symbolize, God, I am bowing before you and acknowledging you as Lord over my life. It's a great place to start, right? He prays in submission. And, of course, not only in body, but it is in his heart and soul as Jesus says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I come from the very beginning, coming in a place of surrender and submission to your authority, rule, and power. Okay. That's where we must start. Secondly, Jesus prays preemptive prayer. He does not wait till the cross to deal with this. Right? He knows it's coming, and he doesn't delay or postpone or be foolish about how easy this is going to be. He's preemptive. He deals in advance with the temptation that he knows will come. And he examines his heart and he says, deep in his heart, is there something in my heart that's, that's, that could be pulled in a way that would take me away from God's will? Right? He's preemptive. And he urges the disciples to do the same. Be preemptive. Um, don't wait until the moment of crisis. Start dealing with your heart now. And see what might be lingering there. And then thirdly, he is praying honest prayer. He's very honest about the struggle that's before him. He says, he says um, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Unlike the disciples, Jesus is very aware of the choices and the difficulty. Right? He's aware that, honestly, there is a part of him that is being pulled in that direction. Now, for us, uh, it is a matter of reigning in our will. Jesus' will never, never got out of the box, right? Jesus is, is working hard to keep his, prayer, keep his will in line with the Father's. Right? But he feels that tug. He feels that temptation. He feels that pressure. And so he comes to God honestly. Father, if you are willing, if there is any way I want out of this, I don't want to go to the cross at some level. There's something about running away, about avoiding it that is appealing to me. Lord, if you are willing, so he's honest about his struggle. Right? But in his honesty, he never takes it outside of God's will. Right? He says, God, your will is, is it. He begins the prayer with God's will. He ends his prayer with God's will. The battle is his will with God. And so the, the next thing we see Jesus is he is wrestling in prayer. He's wrestling in prayer. This is not casual. This is not kind of indifferent prayer like I usually pray. This is not you know, like he's half trying to stay awake. right? It says, notice what it says. It says, um, being in agony... He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. The word agony, they use it here because it's, it translates the most easily the Greek word. The Greek word is, anybody know? Agonia. Okay, that's not hard, right? So you, you, you know Greek. You didn't even know it. Agonia, right? Um, the problem is that in English, it, it has the connotation or meaning of extreme physical or mental suffering. 
But that's really not the best meaning or connotation of the original Greek word. In Greek, it really had the, the connotation of extreme physical or emotional effort. It's the effort that's emphasized, not the struggling. And so the picture is not just that Jesus is in emotional turmoil, although he may have been. The picture here is that Jesus is exerting tremendous effort in prayer. So much that it says that he starts sweating, pouring sweat. Sweat is rolling off him as if it were drops of blood. Key word there, as if. Okay, It doesn't say as, that it was drops of blood. That would be impressive, but that doesn't have to go that far. Um, but the point is, he's, he's not just kind of ho-hum in his prayer. He is praying with an intensity that's causing him to break out in a sweat. When was the last time you prayed like this? Well, here it actually happens to me often because it's so blazing hot here. All I have to do is just breathe and I break out in a sweat, right? But it's not actually because I'm that intense in prayer. But Jesus is wrestling He's literally wrestling in his soul. And, and the thing that he's wrestling about is who, whose will is going to win. He's wrestling to keep his will centered and in line with the Father's will. That's how you deal with temptation. Right? That's the place you must do battle with temptation. So what tempts you? Right? What is it in your life that, that is leading you away? Jesus says you need to be daily going to prayer and wrestling with your will to keep it yielded and surrendered and in line with God's will. Because as soon as you start saying, I want that, you've lost, right? And you need to start reining that back in. You need to start wrestling, saying, God, I am being drugged away by desire. And honestly, I want what is sinful, I don't want your will. And that's the point where we need some serious, honest wrestling in prayer. God, please help me rein in my will so that what I want is what pleases you. And I don't want the things that would satisfy my flesh. That's where you must do battle. And, and, uh, and I think if Jesus wrestled to the point of sweating like drops of blood, if it took him that as the Son of God, to reign in his will, how much is it going to take for you and I to reign in our will and keep it surrendered to the authority and rule of Christ? Well, it's going to take a lot more than half-hearted, half-falling-asleep prayer. Right? It's going to take some serious prayer. But it's going to take even more than that. Um, not only does Jesus pray, but he gets answers to prayer. God meets him. It says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. God answered Jesus' prayer, not by removing the cup, but by giving him power from heaven to drink it, to endure it, to go to the cross on our behalf. And and it's amazing when the time comes, when Jesus has it settled and he's wrestled in prayer and he goes back to the disciples, he's ready. It's resolved and it's settled. When, when, when Judas comes, there's no question in Jesus' mind. He willingly goes and the, really the temptation is over. Right? He has not entered into temptation because he wrestled with his will and brought everything, kept everything in line with the Father's plan. Um, 
And, and praise God he did that because there is now available to us a power to overcome. And it's the power of the cross, right? Jesus went to the cross and he, he died to pay, to redeem our rebellious heart. And it is the work of the cross when we trust in him to come in and not only forgive us from sin, but to replace our rebellious heart that only wants to go against God. And he gives us a heart that longs to obey. And so now we really do have a power and a capacity. But not only do we have the power of the cross, but through that Jesus has promised us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who when we pray, we seek God, we seek his help, we cry out to him, he will send his Holy Spirit who will empower us to do what is otherwise absolutely impossible. Right? That's why self-control is called a fruit of the Spirit. Right? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, not the fruit of your determination or your persistence. Right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. What, do you, what are you tempted by? What temptation do you deal with? Every day, every day, there are going to come before us choices to do things my own way or to do things God's way. Right? And praise God, when we do it our own way, there is grace and forgiveness. There was grace and forgiveness for Peter. There was grace and forgiveness for the disciples. But, but Jesus is not calling us to a life of constantly asking forgiveness. Right? He, he wants you to be overcomers who know how to face temptation and do battle at the point of your desire and your will to bring the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in at that moment so that we are a people who never desire what is contrary to God's heart. That our consuming passion, our consuming desire is to please God. Do you want to be that kind of person? Peter wanted to be that kind of person. But because he did not do the battle in prayer, he wasn't. We will be no better. Right? Daily, we must pray this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And where does it end? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? That needs to be our prayer. And a prayer that we, we wrestle with in, um, before God. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.